Can we start with some clickbait? Sure. I'd love to. Let's talk about 6G security. (sighs) (laughs) I laugh, but I don't laugh. 6G. This this is, is, there's nuance here. This is where the rubber meets the sky. Hi, this is Greg Young. And this is Bill Malik. And you're listening to Real Cybersecurity. Gosh, it's good to speak with you again, Greg. Likewise, and congratulations on our 3,000 download. I know. Isn't that an amazing milestone? (laughs) (laughs) I think my family's probably done 2,500, but I'm not going to. I'll take it. I'll take it, too. I'm sure my family's done at least a third of those. We're in pretty good shape. This one goes out to the family because without them, we wouldn't have any. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't have a lot of things. Here's to the family members of everybody in CyberSec who put up with us. That's right. Without your ongoing support we wouldn't be rolling. Yep. And we would uh, be completely useless because we wouldn't be asked to help you uh, (laughs) unmalware your laptop at Thanksgiving. Right, right. I, in fact, sent an alert out yesterday based on the SANS news bite that said there are active exploits against iOS and Apple Watch and iPhones. Just came out, sent it to the fam and got a couple of acknowledgments. Updating now, updating now. See, I'm not a Mac person because they have so much trouble with malware on Macs. I mean, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) My Mac has trouble with Teams. That's my issue. So Uh, who would have thought that Microsoft and Apple wouldn't get along on a platform? Really? After all these years? Can't we just get along? Right. (laughs) Can we start with some clickbait? Sure. I'd love to. Let's talk about 6G security. (sighs) I laugh, but I don't laugh. 6G. This is nuance here. This is where the rubber meets the sky. (laughs) (laughs) This is great for me because there's nothing I enjoy more. Well, there are a few things that I enjoy more that I would do by myself over the air than play the curmudgeon take down marketing fluff. 5G is, according to most of the carriers in the United States, a wonderful improvement on the stuff we used to have. And it's rolling out everywhere. This is great. This is important. This is a wonderful thing. Only one small problem in that it ain't 5G yet. What we're seeing now are improvements in 4G LTE that have been in the works for years. The way these things go. It's like like 4 plus. Yeah, 4 plus. Right. The way these things go is there's a group that was formed a while ago called the 3GPP, Third Generation Partnership Program. And it's a consortium of the major regional cellular infrastructure groups. And so you have six of these roughly aligned with the major continents. And within those, you have members made up of carriers, equipment manufacturers, and researchers. And what they do is they put together a series of specifications. You can tell how long it's been going since 3GPP has been around since third generation when they realized they needed this kind of stuff. Those of us who traveled in the 90s recall the challenge of getting a cell phone that would work going to Europe if you happen to come from the U.S. I actually had to buy a different cell phone solely for the purpose of sending and receiving calls. And I had a recorded message on my own line saying, if you want to reach me, please dial this number. That's all gone now. You can pretty much take your cell phone just about everywhere, except perhaps maybe North Korea and get <laughs> get connectivity. And pay for it. <laughs> yeah, there's, there are minor fees and such. And, and there are still some areas where the financial imperatives to not use your phone or not make long distance calls, which is frankly wrongheaded. The way they do a 
generation, so like 5G or 4G, is they specify a bunch of features that they'd like to have in the generation. And these features are bundled together into releases. Right now, we're running on what they call RHEL 15, release 15. It's the 15th in the series since they started this. And it talks about 4G and 4G LTE. Release 16, which is rolling out, has some early 5G content. But release 17, which has 60 candidate functions for 5G, is still being developed. The spec won't be done until the end of this year. It was supposed to be earlier this year, but the pandemic. The spec will be done in the latter half of this year, which means that manufacturers either are going to build their own stuff, which may or may not interoperate, which is highly bad planning, or they'll wait till the spec is pretty much done and they'll start rolling the stuff out. So we'll start getting that in 2022. Now, I said there were 60 candidate functions. The fellow managing RHEL 17 has said that he wants this to be a quick release. He wants it to be done in a year, a year and a half tops. That means that he's going to only allow about a dozen of those 60 candidate functions. What happens to the other 48? Well, the vendors, researchers, carriers who propose them will have the ability to submit them to release 18, which doesn't get started until the second half of next year. That's going to be a big release. It's going to cover all the rest of everything they can do in 5G. That's when you can get things like massive high-density multi-device stuff. That's where you're going to be able to support one active device per square meter across a square kilometer. That's a million devices concurrently active in a relatively small part of presumably a city or a factory or whatever. That's when you're going to get the one millisecond latency or better. That's when you get extremely high quality. All of the cool things that make 5G happening, the things that will let you trust it to drive a car, run a warehouse, dock a ship in a port, <laughs> steer a ship through the Suez. That's just an aside. All of those things are RHEL 18, which starts the end of next year. It's a big release. It'll probably be two years. So the end of 2024 is when that spec's done. So 2025, you heard it here first, is going to be when we start seeing the fullness of 5G actually showing up. Now, migrations are always slow. Most of us have 4G phones that may say 5G ready, but that refers to the 4G LTE plus stuff that's rolling out now. The new phones for 5G as of RHEL 18 are going to need different antennas. They're going to need different batteries. They're operating on different frequencies and they'll require different antennas. So you'll know it's 5G when the phones you have no longer connect, at least not with that functionality. What's 6G? <laughs> well, let's just stick with 5G for a minute. I'm not letting you get away with saying 3G PP without talking about Droop. Oh, yes. So when I worked in the Poughkeepsie Programming Center, I helped build the lab plant. What we had was, this was the good old days, command and control style development. Call it waterfall, although it was never as bad as the people who dish uh, waterfall say it was. We'd plan our work. The work was very detailed for this month and the next month, the next three months, the next 12 months, once you got beyond the one year out boundary, then the plan became a little more amorphous instead of month by month headcount spreads. It was quarter by quarter resource buckets. And so you'd have one, one and a half years that were really detailed and everybody knew what they were going to be doing. And then you get out to the two and three years and you'd have more amorphous buckets. And then this phenomenon of planners droop was that once you got out to about like four or five years, we have a lab, we know there are going to be 1,500 people in it because there have been 1,500 people in it since the mid 
90s, and we know they're going to be doing stuff. And we have general names for things like recoverability, availability, and serviceability, RAS. RAS was always a line item, and it was always 10 to 15% of the size of whatever the whole thing was. And there would be new product support, new hardware support, improved connectivity. And the labels would be generic, very high level, something for hardware, something for software, something for applications, something for networks, and something for whatever the fifth bucket was. All there was in there was just placeholders. And that's planners droop. You go far enough and according to the plan, we're going to lay everybody off and sell the lab in five years. Well, obviously you're not going to do that. So what's 6G? 6G is everything after 5G. <laughs> that's that's all they know. Faster, cheaper, better, you know, more reliable, higher densities, less power consumption, a longer range, less distortion, blah, blah, blah. It's just a bunch of generic high-level labels <laughs> that have no more substance than the back of the index card on which these notes are written. <laughs> so, so that's 6G. Here's my dilemma, though. <laughs> you know, it's a long way away, 10 years. Mm. is the forecast. And I was asked to participate in 6G planning and I was initially skeptical Cool. because again, like you say, we're just dealing with, you know, 5G is not fully rolled out. A lot of these features that you mentioned are functions are going to get pushed out security wise probably later. So that's my concern is that with 5G, we still haven't shaken out security yet. Right. So we're right in the middle of this mess and we're planning for the next one, which is a long way away. But if we don't plan it, you know, what'll happen. We'll be back to all the other bad things that have happened in security when they haven't been planned out. So Right. Let's let's talk about security in 6G now. And maybe along the way, we'll try to clean up the mess that we make in 5G if there is a mess. These boundaries are somewhat flexible. For instance, a lot of the stuff that's currently being touted as 5G was originally meant for 5G. But the handset manufacturers said, we're not ready to go through a refresh. So there are any things in that specification for 5G that we can pull into 4G. And that's where the whole 4G LTE came from. Long-term evolution is what LTE stands for. 4G LTE are the things they could take out of the 5G spec and make available that will run on your current handset with your current antenna and radio setup that we're, that we all know and love today. And the same thing will happen with 6G. As the spirit of the 6G working group moves over the waters and separates the night from the day, they'll begin to say, hey, you know, this would be really cool if we could do this for security. Maybe it'll be a privacy enhancement. Maybe it will be a universal, sophisticated, quantum-proof encryption. There's there's a couple of things, I think, that are coming technology-wise that are a moving target, like quantum crypto. So making the next communication standard quantum-safe so right. making it more making it intentionally resilient to quantum computing attacks sounds like a good thing. Yeah, because we don't even know what well, we're still trying to figure out what those attacks will be. We have some idea about where the crypto will be, but building that in for the next standard, we're obviously not going to do it for five G, even though it could occur in the five G lifespan. But we're not sure. So moving target. And exactly, if there are things in there that will make encryption or data security quantum attack proof, then somebody will say. Is there a particular hardware we need to make this happen? And if the answer is no, then the next question is, well, can we roll some of that into 5G REL 18 and get it out before 2030? So it's a very vague amorphous thing. Anybody who's worked in an engineering discipline, which has long-term investments like setting up a factory or developing a specification for a complex application, developing you know, biomedical technology, read a really great article on the... Uh, 
mRNA virus, the economist is a wealth. Anyway, that kind of complexity requires a lot of planning. It requires a lot of steps. And when you get into the out years, anything beyond the 18 to 24 month horizon, there's a lot of flexibility on what you can actually do with those pieces. So having cast aspersions on 6G, let me backtrack and provide some additional clarity. It's great that they're thinking about this. It's important. Whatever it is that occurs after 5G is certainly going to be faster, cheaper, higher quality, which means, among other things, it's going to be ubiquitous and it's going to be in an awful lot of stuff. Have we crossed the tipping point where the number of intelligent devices exceeds the number of human beings on the planet? <laughs> Define intelligent on both sides of that equation. Hama, <laughs> <laughs> hama. Let me put it differently. <laughs> Are the number of silicone-enabled life forms greater than the number of Homo sapiens life forms staggering around on this planet at the moment? Potentially. <laughs> I think we're really close. Uh, but they were talking about, what, 20 billion yeah. by 2022 yeah. yep. or something? Long, long past that. The yeah. other stuff that comes to mind, and again, my I have a consulting muscle, which is somewhat atrophied, but apparently still works. That when I used to hear things back when hmm. I was in the consulting business, you'd say, oh, I smell money. <laughs> and I pulled that muscle on PKI. <laughs> so, um, but it's it's a bad muscle, right? It's a muscle you don't want to use. It's like a flight or flight reflex, except this is a, oh, this is uh, this is going to be something. So 6G security, my, my old atrophy consulting muscle twitched and said, oh, we can do this for 10 years. On the other hand, started thinking about our good friends, the connected cars, right? So right now with 5G, we're very focused on saying, yes, you know, the communication to the connected car is very important. Some of the discussions coming up around trustworthiness, which is a term we're not really used to dealing with in security, but we have to now along with safety is the communication is not just going to be from my car to the road. It's I'm going to be have to engaging with other cars directly on very quick uh, latency-free transactions to get information about them and other things in the road as well. There's going to be this whole internet of mm. communication going on that we're not really used to dealing with in current communication standards, right? Big cell tower. I talk to it, can't physically get at it. I communicate to it. Uh, if there's something in between me and it, it's probably the police <laughs> intercepting my calls with a stingray. This is going to be some really different kinds of communications we're already seeing. So that is a soft, squishy edge of yeah. what 6G is talking about. But I'm thinking, yeah, you know, what about denial of service when cars are talking to cars to make safety decisions? Yeah, yeah. The whole V to V and V to everything environments are really perilous. I was watching a rerun of NCIS Los Angeles. They had a cell phone jammer, right? So when this guy was in his panic room, he couldn't call for help because the bad guys had left a cell phone jammer in the desk drawer outside. It was local. It wasn't a wide area, but it was enough to fill his phone. Well, imagine what you could do with a cell phone jammer in midtown Manhattan on rush hour five years from now, and a third of the fleet is talking to other cars, talking to infrastructure, getting information about the maintenance that's taking place, about traffic densities, about emergency vehicles. They're going to need clearance and all of a sudden it's locked up. Well, what will happen is all of a sudden people will have to put down their coffee and start driving, right? You're going to fall back to normal. Now, we've been in situations kind of like this. Of course, most obvious example is simply a power outage. When the GPS satellite rollover happened in uh, 2019, New York City's smart traffic lighting system went off the air for a week. And that meant that you had to wait 90 seconds for a red light to go green, even if there was no cross traffic. Whereas before, with the intelligent systems, which were tied to the GPS clock, which 
was malfunctioning, would look at the traffic and they would change the timing dynamically to move more cars. So what was the net? The net was you had to waste time sitting at idle waiting for the light to change. Cell jammer in the uh, V2V future, what is the net? It means that cars stop being smart and now rely entirely on their driver to keep them on course and deal with immediately visible stuff. Yeah, they're still going to have their own sensors and decisions, but those that assist from other information uh, is going to be reduced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe much like the ability to dial a telephone using the term dial might be the same kind of skill that's gone out, same as uh, driving a car. Maybe we won't know anymore. Well, my kids, with the exception of my son-in-law, don't really drive stick shifts very comfortably. Oh, good example. Yeah. Yeah. We watch the technology evolve and move faster. <laughs> <laughs> Little kid hand a pencil. He says, where do I turn it on? <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> All right. So I've satisfied my inner man child by getting you to talk about the, uh, your 3G PP and Droop. And we've covered the clickbait <laughs> of 6G. And that will bring us to the end of our conversation about 6G security and the perils and promise of planners Droop. Please turn into our next episode where we will discuss the world of post-pandemic travel, what we miss, what we look forward to, and what we hope actually we can change going forward. Thanks for your time and attention. That brings us to the end of this edition of Real Cybersecurity. I'm Greg Young. And I'm Bill Malik. Thanks for your time and attention today and joining us on our journey. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Real Cybersecurity, and our email address is podcast at realcybersecurity.net. Thanks.